0: Life's good! Never on! Whoa! Hard! Hard Hardly! Come on, friends! Life's good! Got real close. Got hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have! Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott alongside, as always. Hi, Scott. Sean, hi. So, the Olympics are done. Very sad. Yeah, it's been a wild ride of a a couple weeks. i got to admit to you, I've not watched much of the rest of the Olympics other than (laughs) this curling uh, bond spiel, but uh, it's been fun. Lots of ups and downs, and I'm ready to uh, break it all down. Yeah, so a new quadrennial cycle has just started as people start looking forward to the 2022 Olympic Games in Beijing, China. The winter mecca that is Beijing. Although I will say this, when I was in Beijing... They had photos. I was there in the summer, but during the winter, they would transform the Olympic Stadium that they built for 2008. In the winter, they do make it like this winter wonderland thing Hmm. where they have bringing truck and snow and the kids can play and they do all sorts of slides and cool things. So, I mean, they're not sort of foreign to the idea of winter. It gets pretty cold in Beijing, too. But uh, before we move on to 2022 and a lot of teams have already moved on to (laughs) 2022, let's talk about what happened in Cheng and I would say arguably the biggest story coming out of Pyeongchang in the curling department would be John Schuster. Yeah, yeah, we talked about John Schuster in our preview podcast. You know, we we liked his chances not as much as Sweden or Canada, but he was winning the dark horse race and sure enough, uh, skinny John Schuster comes through and and uh, played lights out the back half of the week. Uh, yeah. They they Beat all that were put in front of him, and and uh, managed to come home with a gold medal. Yeah, it's it's really impressive the sort of gauntlet that he went through. He was two and four, two and four. Yeah, he was two and four. And there was this great story that. He said he was walking around the village, the, the athlete's village, with his, with his wife and he was really upset and disappointed and then he realized, what am I doing? Like, I'm at the Olympics, let's just go play, who cares? Yeah. And then he doesn't lose again. Yeah, it's ama- amazing what uh, some confidence can do for you. Yeah, so the, he he loses to Norway to go to 2-4 and four, and then he beats, in order, Canada, Switzerland, Great Britain, um, Canada again... Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, the big boys. That's pretty good. Yeah, you, you definitely can't argue with that. Uh, I, I'd i say uh, in watching the last few of his games, he played particularly well. Maybe not so well in the final, but uh, Tyler George yeah. playing third was amazing. Yeah, as we said... Uh, John Landsteiner. Landsteiner, yeah. He's, he crushed it. He's just this guy that you don't even realize is there. Yeah. And then you turn around and, oh, he curled 93% or whatever. So, yeah, the whole rest of the team played really well. In the final, they benefited from some mistakes by Team Sweden. Mm-hmm. But uh, were able to take advantage of those mistakes. And that's the key, right? It's not so much that... The other team makes mistakes. Of course, the other team is going to make mistakes. It's just the nature of the sport is that you take advantage of them. And mm-hmm. certainly in that semifinal against Canada, they did a very good job of that. Canada just... They, they just couldn't get on a roll and they couldn't be... They, they were never in control of that game, Canada was. Mm-hmm. They were always chasing and... It just sort of felt like it was the Americans' game. Yeah, even with the, the score all tied up at deuces there for a long time, uh, you're right, it felt like they were chasing Canada. And I remember I was watching the shot in the fifth end that Schuster had. He had a r- long run back to maybe score four or five and stuck it and only scored his one. Mm-hmm. But that at that point, I was like, boy, these guys came here to play. And yeah. it's going to be a tough game. Yeah, and then what's interesting is that in that eighth end, where mm-hmm. Kevin Cooey is facing two and he's got a dry, I think it was just full eight, to score a point. And then he's up 3-2, uh, if I'm if my math is right. Uh, then he's up 3-2 after eight. And that's still a pretty good position, even though they hadn't played great, I hadn't really felt like they were in control. And then he just comes up. Really short, crazy on that, light, yeah. On that draw, and that was really it. The steal of two in the eighth—that's really hard to come back from, mm-hmm. and and they didn't. <laughs> no, they weren't able to. It was just—it uh, was too much to overcome and too much too late. Uh, Mark Kennedy had a pretty rough rough go in that game too. He seemed like his uh, on the broadcast. They were talking about his stones maybe being mis- mm-hmm. mismatched—one curling more than the other, which is really surprising. How. You'd play the whole week and then pick your own stones across all the sheets and then pick two that weren't, weren't matched. You know? Yeah. The, you would think, especially with those guys. I mean, they know what they're doing. Yeah. On stones. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, it was a bit of a rough break for them there, but uh, all credit to Team USA. Mm. When you say Mark Kennedy sort of struggled. This is why curling percentages are always useless. He did shoot eighty percent in the game. Kevin Cooey shot eighty five percent, but again, it's not necessarily how many you miss. Often when you miss, yeah, it's it. I think uh, it was in the first half of the game he was struggling a little more and and picked it up in the back half. But right. there were a lot of half shots in there too, where he would just rub a guard or you know try to play a freeze and roll just open, mm-hmm. uh, just roll off. So you know it's very precise these misses, but uh, they're they're costly when they happen. Yeah, and then the other semifinal, Sweden beat Switzerland pretty handily. Uh, they score two in the first, four in the fourth, two in the sixth. Yeah, that was not even close. Really in really. control the whole time. And then that puts the – we don't really have to talk about the game. Sweden just won. Sweden was just better yeah. that, that day. And then the bronze medal game, we'll get back to Canada here. Canada loses. And what's interesting about that game to me is some of the comments afterwards, especially Ben Hebert, who we love Ben Hebert because he's – He'll, he'll let you know what he's thinking and he mm-hmm. talked about how this was he thought the game against the United States was rock bottom but that was rock bottom and that not getting a medal kind of taints the whole experience for them and they were they were upset and that game against the Swiss it's another game in which they could have won they had a chance to win the game they did they did they gave up some pretty costly steals early and and put themselves sort of behind the eight ball they managed to come back and and make it sort of close, but it, it's those two big steals in early in the game, and I think the third and fourth or second, second and third. third, yeah. yeah, that that sort of got them off on the wrong start. And it was it was again all these half shots that they were making. They were trying run backs and just missing them, and the shooters were rolling to spots that were sort of blocking draws, and mm-hmm. and it just they just didn't seem to have it all that day. No, absolutely not. But that being said, they had a chance in the 10th to score two. Kevin Cooey's first one, he misses it and it rolls too far. Mm -hmm. And then Benoit Schwartz makes a a double and and the game's over. What's interesting to me about both the semifinal and the final for the the Canadian men, it seems like Kevin Cooey was trying something different in those late ends where you have to score two after ticks and stuff in the corners where he was sort of half freezing on his ones that were... Uh, Sort of out of play And then he would have Kennedy This happened on Kennedy's in both Mm -hmm, games mm -hmm. Where he sort of came down and had him Hit and roll in With the one that was half frozen rolling in with it And that's how he was trying to generate his two After the Americans and then the Swiss Had sort of moved stones out of the way It was a really interesting strategy to me Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen a lot of people do that I'm guessing people will start to do that a lot more using those angles really well. And that's something that Kevin Koo has always been really good at with the angles. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be interesting to see with the briar coming up next week and then in, in subsequent events, especially once we get into this five rock rule where more stones you would think could be ticked and moved around in front of the house, if this is something that catches on, the, that strategy. I, I, that was something that was really noticeable to me. Yeah, it was. it was a kind of interesting way to attack that we haven't seen before, but perhaps given that they played Five Rock Rule on, on tour all year, they might have developed some sort of uh, feel for that strategy playing those rules. Mm-hmm. So overall, the men's tournament, a little surprising, I think, To, to certainly to me. Um, I, with all due respect to John Schuster, I mean, I, the final I wanted to see was Canada and Sweden. Neither of them played that well in their last games respectively the Swedes obviously played really well in their semifinal but they didn't really play all that great in the gold medal game uh, I didn't think but that gold medal game give credit to John Schuster give credit to his whole team and I think the signature moment in the men's tournament's got to be the shot for five yeah yeah that was a a pretty great pretty great setup and to the end and a pretty great finish I I woke up and I heard that the Americans had won and then went back to watch the game again and knew that they had scored five at some point. And there was one end when I thought, oh, it's got to be this end where it's coming. And, oh, no, they, they only got two. Okay, well, where's it going to be? And, yeah, it seemed like everything that Sweden was trying in that end was just the wrong side of the inch. They, mm-hmm. uh, they would roll the wrong place or set up some kind of double and... And give credit to the U.S. team. They they were really patient that whole end. You'd think uh, they might have, you know, maybe peeled the center guard or run the center guard in or try to figure some way out to minimize any risk. But no, they just kept putting rocks in there and and going for it. And mm-hmm. Nicholas Adine's last shot there. He basically put it the only spot he he couldn't. couldn't. You got to roll in or roll out. Yeah, and he didn't, and he he left in the double. You know what that end actually reminded me of when Matt and Becca Hamilton gave up the six in the mixed doubles. Right. That you just have to be there. You got to be aggressive, and they had a chance on their last shot, and they just missed the last shot. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what happened in in both of those games. So it's interesting. Matt Hamilton is on both sides of that type of end, obviously. I think he'll take <laughs> what happened uh, with it, but that's really what happened, and that was the story of that game where the Swedes were just a little bit off. Yeah, just a little bit off. They they played so well all week, and then yeah, Rasmus Rana was just a little bit off in his draws, and and Nicodine, like we said, wasn't he wasn't making his characteristic perfect hits. Uh, even he played some runbacks that would just miss the yeah. stones, uh, and you know, bad time to have your uh, worst game of the week. Yeah, uh, it really is. And again, he shot seventy four percent in that game, eighty five percent for the week. Obviously, a drop off. That being said, John Schuster shot seventy six percent in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there. Okay, so I have two hot takes about this game that I just noticed in watching it. First, John Schuster, of course, should be disqualified because the pad on his throwing broom was red. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. Right, he never changed the throwing broom pad to that yellow. So obviously, they should be disqualified, and the medal should be stripped. Uh, <laughs> but the other thing that it this this isn't a big deal, but it it, it bothered me for some reason. Um, on on his last one that he threw, Nicodine did the three sixty, mm-hmm. and it was, it was in the house. So they were sitting at that point. Uh, they were sitting, I think, two with one left to throw for them and John Schuster still is is two left to throw and John Schuster started to go down to play the hit and they shook for some reason if I was John Schuster I would want that moment where I throw it and you get like the slow clap in the crowd and then you hit the stone and then, you know, I, I felt like that was kind of depriving John Schuster of that moment a little bit. The eruption of the crowd, maybe? Yeah, to, uh, of sort of you run him out of rocks and that's it. And I, I realized that he's not going to miss two hits and the game, for all intents and purposes, is over. And Nicky Dean himself said the only reason they didn't shake after eight was because they wanted to give themselves time to calm down. Because <laughs> they were angry and, and disappointed, obviously, so they didn't want to have to go face the, the media or go do the medal ceremony in that state, so give themselves an extra twenty minutes, half hour, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and that's cool. And I got that, and I like the idea of the three sixty. I don't. There's something about it though that if you want John schuster to have that moment, you know, just throw that stone you to know? throw it and raise his hands. Yeah, and um, let the crowd sort of build to it. And yeah, because I, I remember when Kevin Martin had that in, in 2010 right and he gets yeah. to throw that rock and and it's this cool moment right yeah and yeah. I, I don't know that that irked me it's a very minor point but it's something that would have been cool to see mm-hmm. and it gives more of a signature moment to the end of the game too yeah that's true. that's true that's more there, there's a better end to the game yeah and and i mean it's one more stone it's one more stone it's not really that that different yeah and especially with the crowd the way it was loud crowd for the americans mm-hmm. you sort of let them have that moment that's my hot take um so but again Shusu should be disqualified for not having not having the yellow pad well maybe we'll file that appeal with the yeah. uh, ioc and see what happens should, and i didn't even know i didn't notice it all week and then i just noticed it Watching the gold medal game. That is, Throwing Broom had a red pad on it. Oh, boy. Again, it makes zero difference uh, because you're not sweeping with it. But I noticed it. So the men's tournament, good for the Americans. Uh, I got two medal winners right. I had the Swedes winning the gold. Uh, They won the silver. And I had the Swiss winning the bronze. So I got that right. Right Um, on. So I, I was good on that. You had the Swiss winning this or excuse me the Swedes winning the silver yeah so you had that right and I don't remember your bronze medal team uh USA baby ah so there you USA. go USA so we both had two teams yeah in the medals at least I think that's what it was I, I can't okay. remember for sure but I'm pretty sure okay so that's good so we're tied there uh on the men's side on the men's side yeah look out so let's talk about the women's side the playoffs there arguably a little more exciting in terms of the games, a little closer games at least. Maybe a bit, yeah. I, I w- let's talk about the the Great Britain game against Sweden. Uh, that was a pretty compelling matchup in my eyes. those were two of my medal teams. Actually, no, I didn't pick Sweden, but uh, <laughs> they're they were the two best teams left. I thought. Okay. And watching the game was, was pretty interesting, it was pretty close. And then that I think it was the seventh end, boy, it just seventh end a steal of three for really for got Hannah away Asselberg. from Eve. Yeah. I mean she she had to play a pretty tough draw through a port and came up crazy, crazy light, gave up that steal of three and, and that was the game right there. I, I don't know if it was a different draw path they started going down, if something had happened to the rock, but yeah, it was uh that was the death blow. Yeah, so the final there ends up being ten five, Sweden wins over Great Britain. And yeah, you look at the line score tight all the way through, but yeah, that that steal of three really jumps out yeah, on the so, board there. And so that sort of ended the game, but then we look at the other game, Korea and Japan, which was probably the game of the Olympics. Uh, it, I mean, it was super well played. Everyone was making shots. I mean, it was three, two, one, one, two, one, like, it was very tight throughout, yeah. and and the percentages were high, and it seemed like uh, the Korean skip, Yunjun uh, Kim, was had ice water running through <laughs> her veins for that that game. Every shot was just like the perfect roll, mm-hmm. the exact right amount of weight. It was it was a real treat to watch. Right, and especially with the crowd going the mm-hmm. way the crowd was going, right. Like, and I think Bruce Rainey said this during the gold medal game that they got a forty share on oh. the rating so 40 percent of the people in, in korea, korea uh were watching that game wow. when it was on wow so that's approximately I said about 25 million people or something which is a crazy like Damn. which is crazy but what's f- interesting about that game too is that at the end japan needs to steal to push it into the extra and what's fun about the crowd is that obviously it was a crowd that was very excited for the south koreans but Arguably not the most knowledgeable curling crowd that we've ever seen. So in that last shot in ten, when um, when Kim's rock starts to roll, yeah, and it's rolling to they they're, they're cheering, cheering as it goes over the button, and then they continue to cheer, and then it stops, and then it's sort of a confusion because the Koreans on the ice aren't yeah. celebrating. They're saying, "Oh no, it and went the, too far." Yeah, so it's just, it was a really interesting moment to watch, um, but it was it, it's incredible that the the korean team given that they i think most people would say they outperformed the expectations this week absolutely and they're in this game with the the pressure of being at home and trying to get a medal in that semifinal. you win that game you're guaranteeing yourself a medal you get to that game and to play that well in that moment that's that's super fun to watch and Got to be very, I'm sure they're disappointed today having lost the gold medal game, but they have to look at that and that's got to be a very good sign for their future. Oh, super successful week. I think you, you tell them at the beginning of the week, hey, you'll be in the gold medal game. They would have said, whoa, whoa yeah. who do I have to pay uh, for, for this <laughs> to happen, right? So, I mean, it was a great job by them. Uh, I don't want to overshadow the performance of the Japanese team in that game, though, too, in the semifinal. Holy cow, they they really came to play as well and shot the lights out. So mm-hmm. that was just really fun to watch uh, all the way through. I, and for me, that game was the best game of, of the whole Olympics that I watched. Yeah, and I think most people on Twitter were certainly saying that after mm-hmm. the game, and, and people were really into that game. It, it's interesting, too. Like One of the cool things about watching curling is that the players are mic'd. Right. Yeah. And so you can understand where they're coming from, what their strategy is. And yet in this game, neither my Japanese nor my Korean is really all that up to date. <laughs> um, it's a little rusty, I have to say. But mm-hmm. you can watch that game and still be impressed, still enjoy it, not really knowing their perspective on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, an, you know what, it's it, interesting. Like you, like you say, usually you get to listen in on the, on the strategy but with with not understanding the language you I mean I didn't really understand anything either sometimes they would say hack yeah, or, or sweep curl, <laughs> curl or curl yeah but but you're right, but the game was still just as fun to to watch as any other game and uh, I think the future is bright for both of these teams mm-hmm. yeah two relatively young teams who we would expect to see in uh, Beijing in, in 2022 mm-hmm. uh, those two teams and then we have the the Japanese team goes on to win the bronze medal game, stealing nine and ten for yeah. a two point victory over Eve Muirhead. Yeah, I did not see any of this game, to be honest. Yeah, I, it was a sort of a late night for me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean they, they did what was needed to, in the in the end there, and uh, it's too bad for Eve and and her team. I wonder if there's going to be a shakeup with that team. Uh, For the next quadrennial. I mean, they've replaced their lead twice, I think, already. Uh, So we'll see what happens with them. But uh, good for the Japanese. And I think, as we've stated on this podcast, a time or two. We like the Japanese, too. We're big fans of uh, Team Fujisawa. Yeah. So And then the gold medal game, which happened uh, Saturday night, Eastern Time. Or or even Saturday night evening, uh, Pacific Time, Mm -hmm. in Canada here the south Koreans and the swedes and this was a game that frankly in watching it Sweden took control and never really gave it up right they they forced in the first end yeah. and were in and the korean team was chasing in that first end and then she takes her two and three and then steals four and five and it really felt at that point like the game was over yeah if i remember right i think she was trying to blank the first end and and hit and stuck, mm. which was a bit of a sign of I think nerves right in that gold medal game that something that an easy shot that she's been making all week dials uh, dials it back a bit and isn't able to sort of keep herself under control and I think if we look at the percentages for this game that uh, the Korean team had their worst game of the week percentage wise uh, they really didn't play all that well and that was the difference really because. Uh, Yunjun Kim was used to cleaning up any small mistakes that her team made in front of her, mm-hmm. which weren't very many throughout the week, but in this gold medal game, she just wasn't able to uh, to finish, and that really opened the door for the Swedish team, and like you said, they were up 4-1 at the break they were really in control of the game the whole way Yeah, and one of the steals, I can't remember it was 4 or 5 but Kim had a long raise, just off nose raise to try and score 2, and she floated it wide and never really had a chance and that's sort of what we saw a lot through this game now to say that they had low well, games the second and third for korea shot higher than their tournament average uh in this game mm-hmm. uh, but certainly um in jung struggled yeah in the game and and yeah and then anna hasselberg gets the three and seven and that was really the end of the game and again another somewhat anticlimactic finish yeah with a Um, shake happening a couple minutes after the end had finished yeah nobody was sure what was going on yeah but again you that's one that you don't really need to play out at all so i have no qualms with how that that finish whatsoever but i do again i love that korean crowd they were cheering hard the whole way they never gave up. They were they were into it. Mm-hmm. And good on the Korean team for uh, a silver medal. Oh, and yeah. then this Swedish program, silver medal in the men's, gold medal in the women's. They've won three out of the past four women's Olympics. Right? Yeah. They won in 2006 in turn, they won in 2010 both with uh, Annette Norberg and then now here with Anna Hasselberg, This is a good program and it's it, it's interesting cuz Nicodine at the Continental Cup was saying that he's not really encouraged about curling in Sweden at the grassroots level and numbers he says are going down in terms of participation but (laughs) here are two teams that aren't that old who I would expect if they want to could very easily be in Beijing in 2022 so this is uh this is a good program coming out of Sweden and two teams that obviously are are world class yeah yeah world class teams for sure and i think if you said there's one country that's going to win a gold medal and silver medal in in team curling at the olympics most people would have said canada yes so for sweden to do this uh it's it's a great accomplishment obviously Mm. and yeah maybe the depth isn't there but maybe this helps Uh, you would think so it would have to and certainly there's a lot of talk that john schuster's Situation will help curling in the United States. I've already seen some tweets from curling clubs around the country. Yeah, uh, we're recording this Sunday that they've had open houses. They previously scheduled open houses, learn to curl events today, mm-hmm. and people there's a lot of people like over the numbers that they expected. So people hopefully go out try it. I think I can't remember what club it was. Maybe it was Chicago, but they're pushing or they started a Kickstarter or GoFundMe to help fundraise for a curling dedicated facility. Um, I I can't remember, but somewhere uh, I started that and trying to piggyback on this. And if they can get in the country, more curling specific facilities, Mm because the problem is there are curling clubs in a lot of places around the country, but they're playing on hockey ice. Yeah. And I had the chance to go to Pittsburgh last year for their summer spiel, which was on hockey ice, but they got the ice, I think Tuesday and the, Bonsville started Thursday, so they had a couple days where they built it up, and we were curling on ice that had never been skated on. So they built up the rink. Okay. So the ice wasn't it wasn't a hockey ice. I mean, it certainly wasn't club ice, and it wasn't like arena ice like you would see on TV. Mm-hmm. But it was relatively good ice. But in in listening to them talk about their normal Friday night league, they have to take the rocks out every week from storage. Get them on the ice. They have to drill in to put the hacks in, mm-hmm. uh, and then they have to basically they try and scrape and do a couple of um, pebbles. Yeah, and that's really all they can do. So, and even they said there's there's a pad there uh, at the at the school where there it's at Robert Morris University at the athletic complex. One of the pads, the ice pads they have, is outdoors, and sometimes they get put on the outdoor one. And there's there. There was one night they said where it was so foggy because you're right. You're the the Robert Morris Athletic Center is in the Allegheny River, like it's a little island in the river. So one night it was so foggy <laughs> that they couldn't see the skip. You oh, were no. in the hack and you could not see the skip. So you're basically just throwing and hoping for the best. Hope for the best. Yeah. So these are the conditions that a lot of clubs have. Uh, we met people from Philly who were building a, a curling specific facilities, some folks from just north of Chicago who are there people from New Jersey they're struggling to get curling specific facilities so if this can help then that's just good for the sport that's good for the game absolutely yeah they the the surge in popularity that's expected in the states is definitely going to be good might be a little tougher for us to get into some summer spiels this year right yeah uh, <laughs> you don't want that like as, as a club level player who occasionally wants to go to the States and play, and has gone to the States and played. If the caliber of player improves, that's just going to make it harder (laughs) for me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we just want to go and uh, drink some cheap beer and and have a good time curling. That's all I want. And uh, if all the spots are taken up by local teams, then boy, look out. But uh, no, it's got to be good. It can only be good. It can only be good, too, to raise the profile. Uh, I'll be really excited to see how the... World Championships do this year. It's going to be in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. the men's World Championships. So, yeah, you uh, do wonder, right? Like, I was I was really skeptical because having it in an Olympic year in Vegas, presumably, not all of the top teams will go. I wonder who will go from this Olympic field to the World Championships. I would I would think obviously Kevin Cooey is not going to be there. Mm-hmm. I would suggest that Kyle Smith won't be there. That they might send Bruce uh, Moit. Yeah, uh, there. Some of the other countries, we just don't know. Um, I, like John Schuster, would he want to play in this? I don't know. I'd assume um, that uh, that the U.S. Olympic or the U.S. Curling Association they will would, strongly encourage would really want to keep building uh, this momentum yeah. and, and have that team go there if for no other reason than to bring out their gold medals and sort of show them off to the fans yeah so so you wonder then if if this means because i was skeptical it's like what canadians are going to go how many canadians are going to go versus a continental cup Mm -hmm. where this is a world championship nine day event versus four days yeah one canadian team versus four canadian teams how is it going to work but maybe this will draw more americans to it right people like going to las vegas fun place to go you can go now for a couple of days, if mm-hmm. John Schuster's there, that's a draw. Yeah, um, and right? if, if you've been wondering about, oh, when can I go watch some curling, now's the time. Yeah, so this this is an opportunity, it feels like, for USA Curling to really capitalize on this. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget Nina Roth either in all this and that team because they they didn't do as well as they would have liked. But I think 4-5 and five for them, just missing the playoffs, they did much better than American women have in the past. Mm -hmm. And again, it's, we talked about how good that field was and that's another sign of it. uh, That that program is getting better. And what's interesting too, I think, um, I think Mike Harris was talking on the broadcast that John Schuster has a celebrity curling camp fundraiser thing coming up and they always have to try and get celebrities like in the celebrities who are into curling. So I think Vernon Davis is the tight end from the Niners He's been the honorary captain of USA Curling for a while, so they get him in it. I think Mr. T is going to participate now because Mr. T is all in. But Mike Harris was saying, well, they don't really need anyone else now. John Schuster is the, he's the he, celebrity. He's the celebrity he's the, <laughs> he's the main drop. So hopefully it, it works out well. And the fact that Canada is not on the podium, obviously as Canadians, you don't want that. Curling Canada obviously is disappointed. But if this is good for the game, then great. Then great, we'll take it. Yeah. So overall, pretty good. Pretty good uh, tournament. Too long, I think we agree. Yeah, dragged just on play too the, long. Just play the games. Play the games, right? But uh, one question we talked about before was the idea of the page playoff not being there. Yeah. Now, I sort of said, eh, "Who cares? Whatever." You said, "Hey, we do this at all the other uh, championship events. Why not here?" And I think. You could maybe make a case uh, from a Canadian perspective now that the page playoff definitely would have been beneficial, would have given us another Sweden-Canada game that we all really wanted to see in yep. the men's field. And I don't really know why why it's not done, and I wonder if Canada will now push a little bit harder to maybe include that in the Olympic-level competition. I wonder as well. I think I think it should be there. Because, like you say, it's at everything else. Like It's at the World Championships. It's at the Briar. I, actually, I shouldn't say it's at everything else. I don't know if they use it in the European Championships or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, if it's used at the World Championship, it, I think it should be used at the Olympics as well. And having seen how they dragged this tournament on and on and on, just don't have that empty sheet every draw, pretty much. Put games on that sheet, and then you have the time for the page playoff. I mean, it's one more game to play. That's all it is. It doesn't even need and to be, Sean. They they could not play a bronze medal game. Well, you can't do that in the Olympics. Why not? Because someone has to win the bronze. Like, so you're suggesting the loser of the semifinal automatically wins the bronze? Yeah. Right now, the loser of the gold medal match automatically wins the silver. Yeah, I so guess. So it's not so different. So the loser of the 3-4 is out. And then everyone else is guaranteed a medal. It's just playing for which. Yes, you which could. Color. Yes, you're right. You could do that as well. But the, I, it just, I think there should be more of a reward for finishing first or second. Hmm. Yeah. I. I kind of. Ag- I tend to agree. I know I was sort of poo-pooed it before, but. But yeah, it's it's a l- especially the way that this dragged out and it was a a long week. It was so long. So then, just play the damn game. To have no. To have no reward for finishing first or second is tough, and and so Team Canada came up against that really hot U.S. team that had won uh, three games in a row to that point. Right. And so okay, here's the pushback that I think about it now. That I think you still should have a bronze medal game. I don't think finishing first or second in the round robin should guarantee you a medal. Okay. I think you should have to win a game in the playoffs. Okay, that's that's fair. Then you could do the bronze medal game the way they've done in yeah. I Think Canadian you still have, to have the, the bronze medal game it's just yeah if you want to take the world championships didn't have it for a long time no that's true it's relatively new so if you don't want to have it then get it out of the world championships Uh i just if it's going to be there i think it should be in the olympics yeah i think now that i've seen it in action yeah that's probably the best way to go and i think even more so in the mixed doubles too which is That one even more so. You need a reward for finishing first or second because that game is so random. The points pile up. I think it's even more important in mixed doubles to have a page. So I would vote for it. And again, the way they dragged this out, just tighten up the round robin and let's get into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. This didn't need to be a a ten-day tournament. No, or whatever, ten or eleven days, whatever it was. I'd uh, I definitely agree. And, uh, and so it'll be interesting to see, to see if that happens there. Yeah. So now the attention in Canada, at least turns to curling Canada, a lot of talk about what curling Canada does now. There is a review as they do at the end of every quadrennial that will come up in April in terms of how to improve. And a lot of people are pointing at the trials that the trials are too close to the Olympics that because that event, to win the trials, is so difficult that you have to peak in early December and then you have this rush and this huge excitement and then you have to peak again in February. Mm -hmm. So only two months later. So people are saying maybe... I don't think anyone has qualms with necessarily the qualification process. I don't think anyone would argue that the two teams we sent weren't capable of winning gold medals. That's not a case you can make. No, you can make a case that Jennifer Jones could have won a gold medal. You can make a case that Brad Guoju could have won, won a gold medal. Even Mike McEwen, that Absolutely. they could have. You can make that case, but there's no case to be made that the teams that were sent to represent Canada were not good enough. No, I think, and I think both of them were favorites going in. Yeah. So here's my idea to address the problem because because people are saying, well, why do we have to change when the trials are because in 2010, gold, silver medal, 2014, two golds, the trials were the same time. But if we accept the premise that the world is getting better, if we want to accept that premise, that the world is catching up to Canada, even though, as we talked about, the world has kind of been caught up to Canada for a long time, but we should want to put our athletes in the best position to win. Sure. And I agree with the idea that having the trials in December doesn't necessarily put them in the best position to win in February. So... What I would suggest to currently in Canada is given the backlash that we had to the Scotties and how people feel the Scotties was destroyed by the new format. Mm -hmm. And I feel as though the Briar is going to get a lot of pushback on the format as well. Every fourth year. So this would have been last year. So we'll have this in 2021. The Briar and the Scotties, you still have them, but it's not, it's basically the trials. That's what it is. No provincial representation. You can expand the field from nine, which we had at the trials this year. You can expand it to, I would say 10. Mm-hmm. If you want to go 12, I'm fine with that too. But I would say 10 and basically run the Scotties at the same time in February, the briar that first week of March. And the winner of those events is your Olympian. And to me, the benefits here are are twofold. One, you have a full year to prepare. You can take that summer to set your schedule, to know what you're going to plan and how you're going to get to that peak in February. And two, you get that world championships as well. So that team that's going to go to the Olympics goes to the world championships, plays all those teams in that setting that you're going to see at the Olympics, which I don't think can hurt in -hmm. any way. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would suggest if you say, well then teams from certain provinces won't get to play in a national championship every fourth year. I'm okay with with that, personally. To me, that is the best way to address the problem, if we think it's a problem, of having the trials too close to the Olympics. It's interesting. I think it it can be seen from two perspectives. You can say that the trials are too close to the Olympics – or you could say that the trials are not close enough to the Olympics. If you're saying that you have to peak twice in a three-month span, then maybe make the trials in that uh, second week of January and say, okay, now you've won, get on the road. I don't think logistically it would work. Yeah, I don't think that would work either. But And physically it wouldn't work. I mean, you're coming off that very... The trials are tough physically, emotionally. Sure. You're drained at the end of it. To say, like, two weeks later, you got to go do it again. Do it again. I, I don't think that's putting them in the best position to win. So, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I really don't like the idea of messing with the national championships the way they are now. Okay, what if we replaced, then, the Humpty's Cup, or whatever the hell that stupid thing is called. Well, what or you the can... Players' Championship, and we put it then in April. My, my only feeling is that, you know, I, mean, I don't think you want it in early fall. I don't think that's good. right? I don't think you want to move it up to November, and you can't move it up to November if you're still going to have a pre-trial event right. or, or even October. I don't think you want that. I think you want to allow the teams to sort of be in shape and have a bunch of events under their belt before they go to the trials. Or the other thing I guess you could do, you could have the Canada Cup the year before, So, but then you're in... So you're basically just having the trials a year earlier. Earlier, essentially. Yeah. This is what I'm suggesting. And then I still think if you have it a year earlier, have the Breyer, have the Scotties, but the team that wins the trial should go to the world championships the year before. Hmm. I don't know. I don't think it's broken. <laughs> I don't I honestly don't think it's broken. I think these two teams had bad weeks. Compared to what they're used to, they they didn't have bad weeks compared to some other teams for sure. But but yeah, it was just the way it is. I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel. That's earned medals for Canada at every Olympic Games prior to this. I don't think it's that. But they big have of the changed it. the process before. Like, but but they've ch- changed it. So John Morris and Caitlin Laws did their trials in January, right? Yep, and then. Came out and and won a gold medal in mixed doubles. So does that mean that? May, well, maybe the teams should do it in January because that worked. Like that's that's sort of a not a re- real argument. Okay, here's here's my sort of pushback to that because um, I thought about this when I when I was thinking, do we change it? The mixed doubles for so many of the players who were in it, with perhaps the exception of the Tucks, right? The mixed doubles is an afterthought for all those people, right? For pretty much everyone who's in that event, the mixed doubles was not their primary focus. Yep. They, it, it's not the same pressure cooker as the trials was. Um, the games aren't all on TV, right? They were streamed to great numbers, to be fair, they're, mm-hmm. but they're not on TV. There's not the same media presence there. They haven't dedicated the whole quadrennial to get to the mixed doubles trial. It's, just, it's not the same event as the trials are. So you can go in there. It's a lot more relaxed. It's a lot more chill, and I think for John Morris and Caitlin Laws, they're the two perfect people to have won that event in January because they knew exactly what to expect. They knew what the Olympics was all about. Mm-hmm. And if it had been two other people, maybe it doesn't go as well. And so that that's my only concern. And the thought that well we don't necessarily have to change anything. Maybe maybe we don't. Right? Maybe it's a a one-off. Maybe. But I think it's fair to question whether or not we put the athletes in the best position to win, to be successful. And I'm not convinced that we do. That's all. Okay. And that's that's a question for Curling Canada to deal with at their summit in April. They'll be meeting. I think it was pre-planned before. Yeah, they do it every, every four years. So they'll meet and they'll talk about what's best. And I'm sure they'll think about things such as you've suggested. I'm not... Convinced that they need to change it I I think it makes for a great event In in early December Right before the Olympics It gets people sort of primed for the Olympics And And uh, that's what I think Okay, all right. The other thing that I think in Canada I think they will change this uh, The idea that you can't take your fifth with you Uh, I don't think Cheryl Bernard had any Impact on The success or lack thereof Of Team Holman but what's interesting to me is that it seems like Adam Kingsbury's principal job is ensuring that Team Holman is, is comfortable in their surroundings and there's a consistency to what they do. And Cheryl Kreviazik had been their fifth for all these major events. And then you just change it. Yeah, I, right. think, I think that has a bigger impact than people think. You know, the, the fifth player's main job is to match stones. One of the things we didn't talk about was they retouch the stones in the middle of the week? Yes, which, which is insane. Which, yeah, to me, it is insane. Um, even if you're not getting the right amount of curl that you think you should be getting, to do it in the middle of the week, it's not fair. It it's it really hurts. I think I think everybody. I think it hurts the quality of play. Yeah. Because you're sort of resetting from zero. And yes, you can say, oh, all the teams had to deal with it. Sure, of course they did. But but it it's sort of changing the playing field uh, at a time when it's not really mm-hmm. needed and so having that consistency with your fifth player somebody who's used to doing that work cheryl bernard is very good at at understanding what stones do but i don't think she's out there all the time throwing rocks trying to match them you know right the way that that Cheryl would would be Cheryl Krebiasi, right? So. And she's used to, and even small things, just the vocabulary that the team uses, mm-hmm. the rhythms that they have, they're used to it. And why throw a wrench into that? That I, I didn't understand at the time. Curling Canada was not very transparent in who was actually eligible. On this list, yeah, and and then the, the other thing, and Renee Sonnenberg, uh, it seemed like the the team liked Renee Sonnenberg, but again, it's another. It's another variable. Yeah, that doesn't need to change. Yeah. You're right. There, there was a funny joke I heard uh, Rachel say. They had uh, walking time there to get from the coach's bench down, and Emma said, "Oh, I guess the transit time's running." And Rachel said, "Yeah, she's not in any rush to get down here." <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Like uh, they, they were comfortable enough to like rib, rib each other. Yeah, and I'm sure they've dealt with Renee Sonnenberg before because yeah. she is the national women's coach. So. World championship stuff like that. She they're familiar with her. Mm-hmm. And and it but again you want to make sure that the team what 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 that team has done and what all the teams have done has been so successful that why would you want to change any of it? Try to mess with it, yeah. What's that, what's that, the goal? Yeah, so I think curling Canada there I don't think there needs to be over overwhelming changes, sweeping changes. I would change when the trials are and then tweak some of these sort of things that could make a difference well sean they're not going to make sweeping changes they just uh changed how they just all changed. the rules well about done. sweeping yes well done scott well well done so we don't have olympic curling now for another four years yeah i don't know what the heck i'm gonna do with all my uh all my spare time well i know what you're gonna do over the next two weeks briar's coming up briar's coming up yeah you're, you're right uh i'll be excited to start talking about the briar yeah so We'll post a Briar preview later in the week, maybe Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, Just like with the Scotties, there will be a play-in game on Friday night, this one between Jason Gunlesson and Mike McEwen. Otherwise, the field is set, and we will break down the 17 teams who are in the running for a national championship, one of which we've played. Hey, that was really quick math there, Sean. And yes, we have played this one team. We'll let you know who it is. (laughs) on our briar preview that's right so that's what they call a tease well done well done sir so if you haven't yet please do subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, google play stitcher wherever it is you get your podcast give us a rating and a comment and thumbs up and all that jazz you can also follow us on twitter at game of stones pod scott personally at scott Lakes tv i am at dr Shawnee fever you can also email the show, Game of Stones Podcast, at gmail.com. If you wanna send in a question, something you want us to talk about, please do let us know. So Scott, thank you for this. Yeah, Sean, it was great. Uh, we'll we'll see you next time. Absolutely, we will. Keep your brooms on the ice, don't dump that intern. Make the final